right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Where are we this week? Where are we this week? We're on Lake Graham. We're on Lake Graham. I'm looking at a beautiful lake right there. You're looking at a wall, <laughs> but yeah. I like it. Yeah. This is a concessionaire at Lake Graham. Lake Graham is over in Jackson, Tennessee. We're going to talk about Lake Graham a little today, a lot in a future show. What we've got today is Jason Harmon, of course, right here. Good to be here, Doug. I'm Doug Markham. This is Tennessee Wildcast, Teddy Rays Podcast. Trying to make it grow. Won't you tell your friends about it? Right here with us yeah. is Tim Broadbent. Tim's been with the agency for as long as I have. <laughs> uh, for a while, yeah, but Tim's done a great job through the years. He's a reservoir, was a reservoir biologist, still a biologist, but you now you're the manager for over here, which means you're over all of your, your whole kingdom now is all of Region 1, right? Yes. The western portion of the state. Yeah, streams, reservoirs, lakes, hatcheries, everything you have to do with fish. All right, well, we're going to talk a lot to Tim today about that. We drove to Jackson to be here and and uh, set up right here. We appreciate the concession manager for letting us set up right here. We're going to do a couple shows. We're going to do one today about the big waters over in West Tennessee, mm-hmm. about some of the issues that Tim is facing right now over there. Some of you crappie fishermen will want to hear it because we're going to talk about some issues on that and some Asian carp issues and a bunch of stuff. We don't have a lot of current events today. Jason, unless you got an item or two you want to throw out there? No, just continue to be safe on the water. Uh, it's boating season right now. Wear those life jackets. Fourth of July coming up. Probably the yeah. biggest day of the year is going to be Fourth of July. And we've had a pretty good year so far. We've had a few accidents. The ones that I can remember, the four or five, nobody, there was no life jackets being worn in any of the incident, and all of those folks would be alive if there had been. Mm -hmm. So wear that life jacket. Realize there's going to be a lot of folks out on July 4th who don't know anything about a boat, and they might have just went and bought it the other day. So understand that that might happen, and and, uh, just be patient, okay, and make sure you have somebody to watch out for you while you're out there. If they're fishermen... I like to get up if I'm going on a holiday and get on the water and yeah. I'm at the house by 1030. Get out there before it gets hot. For before sure. it gets hot and before it gets crazy. So just be safe out there. We want you to have a good time and enjoy the water. It's great. We live in a great state for boating, for fishing, mm-hmm. and you might as well have a good time out there. It's vacation time of year. Yep. Yep. So, all right. You might have a lot of people renting boats too, renting pontoons on different lakes. So yeah, people are not as experienced maybe as they ought, they should be. It, it or does. I mean, you get been. experienced by going right, right. but sometimes right. they start on some of the busiest days of the year. <laughs> <laughs> they start they start learning. Uh, just you hunters out there, just want to remind you, we got all our hunting seasons listed out on the website right now at tnwildlife.org. You might be watching our show through there, but if you want to just see a one-page summary of the seasons, it's out there on the slider that goes across the website, to- across the top of it, along with some really good videos and some other information that will make you more knowledgeable. Well, on the quota draw. The those, quota draw. Uh, good get job. your quota uh, applications in. Is. Yeah, get For them in. Deer hunting and even elk hunting. There's 11 permits available this year. Mm-hmm. You might be lucky. Uh, I think one of them's going to be auctioned off, and one of them's for youth. Yeah. So that leaves about nine of them it's out there for a lot there more for opportunity for those elk hunters. It is. Okay. It's pretty All crazy. Right. All right. Let's get with Tim. Tim, we yes. appreciate you being with us today. My pleasure. Uh, Tim's been on with me back in my radio days a time or two and always did a great job, Tim. But you have a hard job. You have a job and have for a long time. You started in the late 80s for TWRA. Yes. And you started on the water. Going to end your career more or less on the water, right? I hope so. You hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, Tim was uh, – uh, how long were you just the reservoir biologist? Well, since 95, when John Condor retired, I became the full-time reservoir biologist on Kentucky Barkley Pickwick. And those are reservoirs, of course, and there's Real Foot Lake, which is a natural lake. Okay. What does it mean to be a reservoir biologist? Basically, it means you collect data. You collect data and make, and then you determine what management strategy will best benefit the fishery. So that's, in a nutshell, that's what we do. Okay. And 
do you have a crew that goes out with you? you have technicians? Oh, absolutely. Or? I've got a crew of 24 people now. We've got some of them split over at uh, hatcheries and small lakes, or with state lakes like Lake Graham. And we also got 11 guys who do reservoir stuff. We've got three creel clerks, actually two creel clerks on Tennessee River, and then one at Real Foot Lake. And then you have technicians, and I have uh, a manager, two, a biologist, two, who help me. We have the lake divided into sections, and they're responsible for that section and collect data. I have a fantastic crew, very dependable, very professional. They care about their job, and they enjoy what they do. All right, and what is their job, Tim? What is your job? What was your job? Now you're the manager for, which means, as you said, you've got a lot more responsibility even than, than, than what you had before. But what do they do? They electrofish? They net? What is it that we do? Every, we do every possible collecting technique that we can. We, we collect water quality parameters on our reservoirs and real foot lake. We do aquatic vegetation surveys in addition to the electrofishing, the trap netting. And we also uh, just kind of get an idea of what type of habitats we have on the reservoir and how it's declining or increasing. And we deal with uh, with water levels quite a bit. There's a, you, you have a lot of big water over here, but when you think of West Tennessee, you don't think it being as water-rich as you do East Tennessee. I mean, where they have all those TVA dams and reservoirs. But you got a lot of water. You have a lot of the Tennessee River here. Is that correct? Right. We have 146 to 147,000 acres of water. That's a lot of reservoir water. water. Yeah, it's, it's ranked second or I think it's second in the state. Uh, behind Region 4, of course. But we have the lake in Tennessee, which is Kentucky You lake. have the lake, one of the lakes in the United States yes, of America. it's one you of the do. best. It's Historically, it's been one of the best crappie fisheries in the southeast. Okay. All right. And and is the river, is it's a river, but it's impounded. It's Tennessee River. Does that, I want to get in detail a lot about Kentucky Lake, but does is the river system like that, does it help make for a better fishery than just a small, maybe a smaller river that's impounded? I wouldn't say it makes for a better fishery. You have, you have what you have to worry about is how you collect data, and what your management's going to be on a river versus the impounded part. Kentucky Lake becomes more lake-like, I would say, around Interstate 40. You get more of the wide area spread out. Spread out. Now south of that, it's more riverine, and uh, the fishery changes in the lake-like area. North of Interstate 40, uh, probably more crappie, bass, and bluegill and red ear. South of there is your better catfish fisheries, although there are the other species also. As Jason and I were coming, we came from Nashville West over here to Jackson, and we, we crossed over the river, mm-hmm. of course, and we both looked down there and thought, I wonder how many fish are down there. And it is riverine <laughs> right there. Can you catch fish in it? Sure. Yeah, yeah they, there are several areas. There's a bird song, an eagle, Cub Creek, Tom's Creek, Beach River, all those are good What about fisheries. just the big riverine part of it, The big, not the creeks coming off of it? Is, do people ever fish those big bodies? Yeah, they water? fish for catfish quite a bit in yeah. the main river. I expect there's some big catfish in yes. there. Yes, yes. All right. All right, so you got a lot more water than what I was thinking, 147,000 thousand acres. That's a whole lot of water. Yes. And that's not, that doesn't count the Mississippi River. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I don't know how many acres of water we on the Mississippi River. What do we do on the Mississippi when we work there? Right now, we're looking at Asian carp populations and uh, sturgeon and paddlefish at times. It's such a big water, and it's multi-jurisdictional. That means you have Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi, Kentucky, all involved in the management of the Mississippi River. And it's tough to do a management strategy, which would be a size limit, krill limits, or monitor commercial fisheries on those waters because there are so many states involved. We're trying to make that those regulations more uniform, and we're making progress. It's just... It's a difficult thing to do. Is is the Mississippi River a great big highway for Asian carp or for any yes. invasive species, period? Yes, it's 
prime. It's that's where all our Asian carp in Kentucky Reservoir are probably coming from, from the Mississippi River migrating up the Ohio, from the Ohio into the Tennessee and Cumberland Rivers and through the locks uh, into the river, so or into the lake. What is it? I, we've talked about Asian carp quite a bit on here, but you are really in the heart of it over here in West Tennessee with the Mississippi River and the Tennessee River. Where do you rank it on the scale of, of your concerns through the years? Number one. Number one. And why is that? It'll be number one over the next probably at least till I retire for sure and probably beyond that. Uh, Asian carp are very competitive for, for plankton populations. Uh, they compete with our younger year fish for plankton. And if they become too dense, they can cause declines in plankton. And that reduces food availability for your younger year uh, bass, crappie, sunfish, whatever. And even our shad. So it's it's something we're not at that point where they're impacting those populations yet, those zooplankton populations. But unfortunately, we have a lot of ten-inch fish in the reservoir this year. A lot of ten-inch Asian carp. Yes, uh, a lot of ten-inch Asian carp. They apparently. What does that tell you? Doesn't tell us a lot yet. We're doing larval light traps at night, trying to determine if those fish reproduced in the lake or if they're mm-hmm. migrating through the locks from the. And from you're the hoping they're migrating, river, right? Hopefully they're migrating. Yes. Okay. I, I look at that big river out there that we crossed over, and I think it would take a whole lot of fish to interfere with the plankton there. But they produce incredible amounts of fish. Incredible. They have very little natural predators, although large bass do eat Asian carp. We've seen that this year in our shocking samples where. Uh, we collected several big bass that had Asian carp in their gut. So, Okay, well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So Great thing. So it gives you a lure that imitates an Asian carp? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a shad, yeah. A shad, yeah. Basically, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you see that being here for a long time. And yes. I know there's uh, – I just want to spend – because we've talked about it so much, just a brief more minute or two on that. You have uh, – we're trying to, to create an industry here in Tennessee for folks to sell – Asian carp on yes. a market, on a Chinese or an Asian market. Do you think that will help down the road? I think if we can get the commercial fishermen involved uh, more than they are now. The, right now, they're not paying a lot for Asian carp, and they can't afford the the gear they tear up and the gas prices wow. to go out. It, you know, like seven or eight cents a pound just isn't enough money for Asian carp to be actually targeted. Now, if we can get some kind of incentive to get increase that price, then I think more commercial fishermen will come involved so that's the issue that's the issue try to find a market overseas and that they'll really buy this stuff yeah the Illinois River was so severely impacted by Asian carp they've actually made an impact on the Illinois River with commercial fishing so that's that's a bright spot hopefully and we're looking at other things too okay do they taste good they're delicious are they the problem is you can't get a lot of meat out of one of them they have so many bones as big as they are though as big as they are yeah. okay all right all right all right so let's talk about crappie on kentucky lake uh, a lot of folks are have some concern about crappie fishing there kentucky lake is known across this country maybe worldwide for the fishing that it's had forever my dad took me there when i was a kid uh, out of birdsong and there's that story's repeated tens of thousands of times from people that go to kentucky lake that's been your baby for a long time What's the state of Kentucky Lake, and more specifically, what's the state right now with crappie? Right now, crappie fishing is getting better. Uh, we went through from 2011, 12, and 13, we had very low year class success. That means very few small fish survived age one. Uh, that impacted your adult fish population, obviously. Uh, so crappie fishing for the last three years has been down. It was not as well, as good as it should have been this spring because of weather conditions. We had Terrible weather conditions as far as fishing goes this spring. We had water temperatures in the upper 50s through end of April. 
Then all of a sudden it went to 71 degrees in no time. Fell back out again, so the success was not as good. They started catching more crappie in May uh, this year, and the fish they were catching were quality fish, 12 inches and bigger, 11, 12 inches and bigger. So it was, it, it, they didn't have the, the success that I wish they'd had this fall or this spring because of the weather conditions. The fish were there. We went out and did some samples. We collected over 200 crappie fairly easily. They just weren't biting. There's a lot of fit, a lot of prey fish in the population. You know, I, the fishermen they tend to have watched it for years and years and years. They, when you go through a few bad years on a very popular fish like crappie, they get nervous and they think something's going on. You've been doing it for three decades. You're pretty sure there's nothing going on out of that. It's just not. Other than a, a couple of years long, we're usually on a on a on a bad reproduction year. See, we had we went through this in the 80s, uh, late 1980s. Had the same type of thing. It was actually worse. The actual catch rates for crappie were actually worse in the late 1980s. We've done it again in the mid 90s, and again in early 2000s. We had some year class failures, which impacted uh, catch rates of crappie by anglers. So it's not new. It's nothing new. But I think that's the thing that scares anglers more than anything. They're afraid the Asian carp are impacting crappie. I say they are not. Not okay. at this point. And how do you know that? Well, there's the density of the population is just not enough to to cause problems with reproduction or, or food availability for young crappie right now. I told you during the, during, before we started the show, I have a friend who thinks cormorants are hurting them. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, like I told you, if, if they don't hurt them at real foot, they're not going to hurt them anywhere, anywhere else. else. No. All right. Well, sometimes I think it's fishermen, me included, we, when we're not having a good year, we got to blame it on somebody besides <laughs> us. So, all right. So Kentucky Lake's going to be okay. You said it had the three bad reproduction years how's it done since 2013 did you say 14 and 15 were really good as far as year classes go um and again year classes is that 2013 year class or mm -hmm. 2014 year class uh and they survived really well we we collected probably overall in the reservoir over 100 percent more young crop than we collected the three previous years so the younger the young fish are there um and you're just going to give them time to recruit into the adult population. We should see improved catch rates this fall. There was a public meeting held recently over near Paris Landing, not far away, and um, a lot of commentary questions asked all that. What did you feel like was going to be the result of that meeting? Do you, you know, you're not a commissioner, and I won't put you in that position, but do you <laughs> think there's going to be changes made, or is there a good chance there will be, and what do you think they could be, Unless that's putting you too much of it. Uh, I don't want to give anybody any ideas. Uh, I think the commission wants to do something. They've, yeah. they've heard so many complaints from anglers, they feel like they, they have to make some kind of change. Now, any change they make at this point is not going to impact the population. It's not going to help anything. And as an agency, we like to make recommendations which, which are positive, that we're going to see an impact on the population. And a reduced krill, only... 17% of the anglers, I think, harvested more than 20 crappie in an overnight-year period. Um, so it's the guys that are out there all the time that know where the crappie are that most of the time, seriously know most of the time that they do their limits because they stay on top of the fish, right? Yeah, the I've rest got, of us that go on the weekends, we're not a big danger. I've got guys that are pretty close friends, several officers are my close friends, and they go up there and they're wondering what, what the big hullaboo is. They catch 25 or 30 crappie every time they go, and I have a good friend, I'm McKenzie, who... He's like, I'm doing fine. I, mean, I don't know what the deal is. So, okay, just give it time, and it'd be everything think, will be okay. Yeah. What else is on Kentucky Lake? What would you travel for to catch on Kentucky Lake? You wouldn't mind coming down from Indiana to fish for? Bass fishing has been incredible the last ten years. Um, we've had so many good year classes, and that has a lot to do with the vegetation in the lake. It has something to do with uh, 
uh, recruitment, obviously. Are y'all spraying TWs? Uh, <laughs> thank you, Doug. I'm glad you brought that up. TWA does not spray nor control water levels. Okay. So. All right. No, so bass fishing is really good. And I think red ear fishing is going to be pretty good over the next couple of years. Yeah, I love the red ear. Didn't get to after them this year like I wanted to. But you tell me Kentucky Lake's a good red ear place. Red ear fishing. And, and catfish, When I remember back in uh, the late 1980s when crappie was down and bass was not real good. Actually, catfish was the most sought species on the lake, which is very unusual. Uh, they were like over 50% of the people were actually seeking catfish when crappie and bass were were less abundant so well that sounds smart to me catfish, go out there and, yeah we'll catch something right right go out there and get that rod to bend over jason mm-hmm. anyway all right what other lakes tim i know the bass fishing's great on kentucky lake because they do tournaments there all the time that's an indication of Indian when the big tournaments come in you have two two or three other big lakes though you got pickwick and barkley barkley's a jewel of a lake it is it's a hidden gem a lot of people they bypass it coming from Nashville or Clarksville and go to Kentucky. If I was them, I'd stop there at Dyer Creek and fish for crappie and bass and anywhere from uh, probably Dover Island north to uh, the state line is really good fishing. Why do you think they do that? Because it's more riverine looking maybe? Uh, or, or is it? I think it's just because Kentucky's got the reputation mm-hmm. and they have, have had historically they've had more success on Kentucky. But. Is it is there much difference in the two lakes? I mean they're getting relatively close together but is there a big temperature or gradient difference in the lake? Usually um, water levels are within a foot I mean a tenth of a foot as far as drawdowns go. Temperatures are very close. You do have the impacts of the Cumberland steam plant. Yeah and yeah and it's the Cumberland River. Right. Right. You should say that. Not the Tennessee River. Right. Right. Um the dead impacts from the steam plant, are they more good or bad? Usually not, no effect. We did have that. When they were doing that work on Dale Hollow and Cumberland Dams, mm-hmm. you know, we had impacts of hot water, fairly, very, in fact, really warm water that impacted water temperatures as far as north as, uh, and you got to remember, Kentucky and Barkley both flow north. That Sometimes that confuses people. Yeah. So. Uh, that is a lot. It is a lot. It's different. Uh, but we've, Water temperatures were impacted during that time they worked on coming down as far north as Neville Bay. So it's, it's but it's they're they're getting things straightened up. Do you have? It made me think too, especially Barkley and and um, even Pickwick to some degree. Pretty good white bass populations. Those things are a lot of fun in time. Yeah, they're they've been very erratic. There's kind of a boom and bust type fishery. We, uh, the one of the comments we received from the meeting in Paris was that the jumps on white bass are gone. They're not there anymore. And I, I can't explain that. We clawed a lot of white bass in our gill nets uh, when we were doing our sauger net below Pickwick Dam. And there were quite a few fish we collected, and um, I can't explain that. Uh, they're very erratic. They, Of course, they're areas where they reproduce and where they spawn are, are very severe below dams, and you have extreme water level fluctuations at, at a moment's notice and high discharge or very low discharge. So. It can affect them, but boy, I mean, I see a lot of them, and it, that seems to be a fish that I've heard heard people through the years, like Percy Priest Center Hill would be another one, where they said they disappeared, but then they came back. Yeah. And they seem to do that, and, and longer periods, to me, uh, than crappie. I may be wrong, you're the biologist, but it just seems that way from my observation. They're just more erratic. Uh, we dropped the krill limit several years ago and uh, to try to smooth out that boom and bust type fishery, and it's... I'm not sure. It's Is that why? I mean, some people say, why do you have, was it 20 on white bass stripe? 
somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah, 15 or 20. It might be 15. Yeah. And then people say, well, why? You can go out and catch 200 of those things at, at one time. But is that the reason why or just spread it out to more fishermen? We were, yeah, that's, that was the basic goal is to try to provide more fish to more anglers. I guess if you, you know, it's 30, they can only catch half that, then I think you can spread that that type fishery out Somebody to more yep. it's nice to say you catch a limit too that is nice it's always nice well, what about a couple other things and i won't spend a, a few minutes on real foot lake uh what about the other fish you mentioned one of them sauger sauger do you have good sauger fishing in the western portion of the state and do you have any walleye over here very few walleye uh we do have some that we've collected in nets the last couple of years below cheatham and below uh pickwick down but sauger is just a, it's just we're still trying to figure sauger out. Mm-hmm. We we've stocked five years in a row now with sauger, and unfortunately, the gates were open for three months. Five years where below Pickwick, okay, uh, which is still Kentucky Reservoir. Um, we stocked there, and from January through March, the last three years, there's been so much discharge. Anglers haven't been able to get in there and collect and catch fish. Mm-hmm. They catch the fish farther downstream, but the discharge rates are so high down there. It's difficult to use a jig and keep it where they want it to. Um, the fish are there. We've we've collected a lot of sauger in our nets the last two or three years, and we're assuming it's their stock fish because we didn't OTC mark them or tag them or fin clip them or anything. But the fish are there. It's just they're so erratic as far as they're they're kind of like white bass. You have a boom bust type thing, and we're we're examining it. We're going to see how it does over the next three years without stocking and if it doesn't do well we may have to get rid of sovereigns go with walleye because they're a much longer lived species uh they're a little more consistent in their their, their reproduction and stuff oh, i love catching them up in the middle part of the state yeah. I, I will tell you that pickwick which you have in your area to me it's probably the number one fishy place and that i ever go to I'm not saying it's better than anywhere else but you can go down below that dam and just smell fish yeah exactly. it just seems like you're going to catch fish on pickwick if you go down there and even stand on the bank yep yep you will so. you got so many species to fish for we have striped bass down there we've never stocked well we stocked striped bass in the late 80s you're talking about rockfish striped bass right okay. all right uh they're <clears throat> they naturally reproduce in the lake every once in a while I had a great day on there once a yeah. few years back yeah. yeah and uh we have hybrids uh and you got the skipjack a lot of people like to fish for skipjack and that population it's really good this year, but it's also erratic. You never know from year to year what kind of year class you're going to have. You know, we protected. I, uh, skipjack, to me, are one of the most <laughs> important riverine fish we have, and you know that better than I do. We had a, a few years ago, our agency actually um, put a limit on skipjack. Right. Was that a good thing? A good thing, because we were having people come from the north and taking back five to 700 skipjack at a time to sell for bait in the northern states. Um we felt like that fishery needed to be protected with a hundred fish crew. We actually wanted fifty. We went to we got a hundred, and uh, we just think it's it's very important in the reservoir. And I saw some of them doing that, and it, it but I got to say it bugged me too. I saw them doing it at Cordell Hole Dam, where they're so important to the really striper, mm-hmm. a trophy striper fishery, and that's what they were doing. They were working hard to do it, but they were taking a natural resource out of our state somewhere else. And I thought really damaging all those big brood fish that were up by the dam. And I thought it was a good move on y'all's part. I thought so, too. I, it's something we considered for a couple of years. We finally bit the bullet and did it. You think it's helped? I think it's helping. Yeah. Uh, still a lot. It takes a lot to catch a hunter skipjack. 
It does. Yeah. It does for sure. It does. But the guy I was watching was a young guy, and he went from morning to night. Yeah. He might have taken a lunch break or whatever. All right. Real Foot Lake. We got one lake in all of Tennessee Mm -hmm. that's naturally made, a big lake, and you have it, Tim. Tell us about Real Foot Lake. Formed in 1811, 1812 through an earthquake. Um, It used to be about 33,000 acres. Now it's about 10. It's been reduced through siltation and habitat problems and when you have 100-foot topsoils in an area, you're not going to do a lot of winter cover to keep soil erosion down. They've gotten better uh, as far as the watershed management goes. Uh, fantastic crappie fishery, bluegill fisheries, tops in the state. How? How a lake that's really only 10,000 acres, how does it keep on doing that? It's just You? A, did you do it to just them? A, oh, it's never been me. It's a fish factory. It's just we call Real Foot Lake the crappie factory of, the, of Tennessee because – Seems like every year they produce crappie. Now we've had a problem up there too the last three years with four year classes, but that was caused, we think, from the extremely low water levels when they built that new spillway up there, the new dam. So but it's we've got four really good year classes in the population up there now the fish uh, i used to go as a really young guy up there and and i never got good at it i would catch crappie but i'd catch them all six eight inches but the good fishermen up there catch big crappie right well up to about 1987 which is when i started yeah average weight was average (laughs) weight i told you you did it (laughs) (laughs) the fish were about a quarter of a pound that was average weight yeah but after that the silver side population was returned in good numbers that bait fish bait fish it's a Pinmen, a lot of people call pinmen. That's what we call them. Yeah. And uh, when they started returning, their populations got better. Uh, average weight up there is over six, six or seven tenths of a pound, I believe, right now. Okay, it's that's back that when I went. Back then is yeah. when I would go and we catch it. And we'd have a good time, but we didn't catch those big fish that we would see people catching later. It also was the first lake I ever saw that that had uh, yellow bass in it. Did they come out of the Mississippi River? First uh, that I saw. Probably, yeah. That's probably right. We don't have we have. Uh, of course, they're in Kentucky Lake and Barkley, and also mm-hmm. they're just they're kind of a nuisance to a lot of people. But I know a lot of people like to eat them too. Oh, they! I got some friends that love eating those things, yeah. specifically target We got one that works with us named Frank Fizz. He goes, <laughs> that's, "That's what he does. He goes yellow bass fishing in the spring." Yeah, that sounds like a Frank Fizz fish. It is. It, <laughs> he didn't eat anything any more than, than that, anyway. So, real foot's good. Good crappie. Like, what about the bluegill? And even what about the bass? Bass is uh, high quality. Not, the, the numbers are not real high, but when you catch one, it's usually a good fish. It's really hard to fish. Uh, There's too many places for them to hide. Too many, too much cover, and you really have to. I've got one of my technicians lives up there, and he's one of the best up there as far as fishing goes. And he loves to fish for bass. So he, all he does is throw a, throw a jig, and that's all he does. No matter what time of year it is, he throws a jig and does good. Fishes those cypress knees, I bet. Yeah, knees, low logs. If they can find an old log, they. They tend to inhabit those. Um, and bluegill, it's the average weight of bluegill has always been the top two or three in the way in the, in the state, and catch rates are really high. Uh, we had, again, because of the water level fluctuations back in 10 through 13, uh, populations declined a bit, but now they're back to, they had a really good year this year as far as bluegill goes. Okay, so we're still going there. And why, it seems to me that when you go to that lake, they sell a specific kind of hair fly. I can't think of it right now over there, but it's like you a grizzly. Need, a grizzly. It's a grizzly. Yeah. It's just like you got to have, you take one of those things I, I use on Percy Priest Lake in Nashville, it won't work. You got to find that grizzly jig over That's there. That's right. Well, I, I fish up there, and when I do, it's so relaxing because I'm in a small boat. I'm usually using a small trolling motor and just 
cricket. Just hit a cricket beside the cypress trees catching bluegill. That's to me that's just relaxing. It is. That that's a lot of fun. Do you get to fish very much? As Not as much as I'd like, yeah. It's you, just too much going on. Uh can you still like fishing after holding thousands oh, yeah. upon thousands yeah. upon thousands yeah. of them? Yeah, we I enjoy it. I don't do a lot of bass fishing. Usually it's bluegill at real foots and red here on Kentucky Lake. I guess I need to ask you too, Tim. I don't know how much time we got left. I didn't start my phone. We got a little while. I got about two minutes left. Okay. I, I guess I need to ask you too about Florida largemouth. Any of them in West Tennessee? I'm sorry? The Florida largemouth. Oh, yeah. We started a stocking program last year on Kentucky. Okay. We stocked three embayments, and uh, we're going to see. We're going to evaluate how they contribute to the population, see if they increase sizes or anything like that. And uh, a lot of our state lakes are stocked with Florida largemouth bass. Herb, Herb Parsons, uh, Lake Graham, Gibson County. Lake Graham right there. Lake yep. Graham right there. Yep. And get in uh, Browns Lake, which is, matter of fact, Browns Lake is where we caught the they used electrofish, the 16-pound, 15-ounce largemouth several years ago. You just gave away our next show. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to have Tim back. We're going to talk about just state lakes, the smaller state lakes uh, that we have here at TWRA. and get Tim to come back on here to talk about that. And maybe talk about hatcheries, too. And hatcheries, yeah. We're going to, in, in the next time, we're going to talk about Humboldt Hatchery a little bit. I don't know. I think I've been there once. So I'd like to hear what you've got to say about that. But Florida largemouth bass are too early to say how good they're doing. Right. But it's going to be a 10-year project. Okay. All right. Well, Tim, I really enjoyed you being here. Thank you. I think you did. You've always done a great job. You've always been cordial to us anytime we wanted to get information, and we appreciate that a lot. That's all you, Doug. Tom, it's, it's all Jason. It's all Jason. All right, Jason. Hey, you can find us on tmwildlife.org. Uh, the past shows are there, and all the future shows will be there, and you can see everything right there. Listen and to it and I want to remind you, watch our Facebook page a lot, too. we mm-hmm. got great stuff out on the Facebook, and we put videos out there all the time, a lot of information. It's easy to find, okay? Just all the information you want about our agency. We'll hear that stuff, but we don't know what y'all are doing. We'll see you next week. See y'all later.